Father, we just thank you, God. We worship you this morning. Thank you for the spirit of worship here, focus, the concentration. We thank you for the all the lives, the families that are represented here today. Lord, we thank you, God, for being able to make a beautiful noise unto you this morning in worship. Bless this word. Speak to our hearts in a very deep way. Lord, we pray for Lori, who's on vacation right now on a cruise. Just bless her with her family. Uh, we pray for those that are not here with us this morning, for Johnny and his family. <coughs> we just thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, Michael st started a few weeks ago um, the our, kicked off our series on Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, and I enjoyed teaching expositionally. Do you know what that means, expositionally? Verse by verse, verse, by verse chapter by chapter. You know, because uh, Wednesday nights, what we do here is we have it's more of a topical environment. We're teaching interaction with topical um, subjects and uh, I like teaching expositionally because it's the word speaking and it's not me speaking about topics you know what I'm saying it's more objective and I do think that we do need to hit topics and we will hit topics I love the book of Corinthians it hits a lot of interesting situations that churches face so um, we're gonna have fun with this book we're going to talk a lot about some very relevant subjects. And let's turn to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And it's great to see some more new faces here today. It's great to have Jay's wife here. Najeya, did I say that right? Najeya. I was telling her this morning that in Polish, Najeya means hope. So, um, great to meet you. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And... Uh, Got Wesley doing the slides, so I'm not going to be distracted. <laughs> Let's define sanctification at first. Uh, when we define sanctification, what I like to do, because I kind of grew up in a church, um, I grew up in a church and then I departed during those teenage years and I was out to lunch, out to something, doing something. And um, when I came back in, I just really was looking for God. You know, I just was having a one of those Romans 7 experiences in my life as a teenager and I was really seeking God's um, way of victory in my life as a young person because uh, everything was not all right in my life and as most teenagers <laughs> parents don't know what's going on and we're talking to other people we're not talking to our parents and I mean that's okay in one sense I had a great teen leader I had a a great pastor who could talk with me about things. But sanctification is kind of like one of those big words in church that, you know, it's like, it's kind of a, it's like one of those scary words like repentance, you know, like you hear that word repentance and I don't know, something inside of you, if you don't understand that word, it just kind of cringes, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, what does that mean? Sanctification is another one of those words. And I want to just talk about this. And I'm not really satisfied as a preacher if I feel like that folks don't understand terms and what I'm saying. So sometimes I may oversimplify, but I just really want you to go home with an understanding of what these words mean. And so the first few verses of chapter 1, let's read them. Verse 1, Paul called 
by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes who is that guy he was just he was the pastor of the church in Corinth uh, he was a man that met Paul or was with Paul in Acts chapter 18 we're going to look at Acts 18 at another time but that was when Paul moved to Corinth was there for several months uh, preaching and teaching and God really spoke to him and encouraged him there that there was going to be a great church dysfunctional church but a great church and Sosthenes was there, and he took a beating instead of Paul in Acts chapter 18. And so he was a real brother in the Lord. You know, co-laboring with, with pastors and missionaries, sometimes co-laboring with us, you know, you might take a beating. You might get a beating spiritually. I don't know if you have experienced it. I know a lot of you are getting, that are getting involved with what we're doing here have experienced some interesting new trials. Like, wow, that never happened to me before. And I always just give people a heads up. If you work with us, your life's going to get kind of interesting because we like to live on the cutting edge of spiritual warfare and walking with God because we're not status quo. And so Sosthenes here was the pastor of the church in Corinth, and he's writing here with him. And in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so we see right at the beginning here, Paul introduces the subject to sanctification Call to be saints together with all those who are in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. I love the sound of babies, don't you? Let, just let them scream as much as they want. It's, it's awesome. And then verse 8 and verse 9, who Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, verse 9, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So verse 1 here, Paul is talking about being set apart before he was born for the work of God. I, I like that. That's the first point I want to make this morning is that before you and I were born, God had set us apart from our mother's womb for the call of God. Isn't that awesome? I, I like to think that because before I had a history in the flesh, before you and I had a history of failure, mess-ups, whatever, we already had a history with God. We already had a calling from God. You know, I like to look at what we're doing in worship or our, our outreach or... Um, reaching out to our neighbors. Pray for us. We have a neighbor that's had their, uh, just a couple days ago, their, their young daughter died. And so we're going to be reaching out to them Monday. My wife's got a ministry of food. <laughs> so she's going to cook, and uh, I'm going to go over there and just pray with them. So pray for that. And as we do this kind of ministry, just remember that this is calling. This is a calling. This is something that God has called us into. You know, Sean's in there with the kids today, Miss Daphne. You know, this is a calling. This is something that, that we do unto the Lord. And sometimes we wonder, am I equipped for the calling? Am I, you know, am I worthy of this? And, and the answer to that is no, we're not worthy of this. There's nothing that we could have ever done to qualify ourselves for the calling. That's why God said in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm qualifying you. I'm just qualifying you right from the beginning. I'm just... I'm just doing this because you're never going to be able to qualify for it. And I'm doing this in your life because of a call. And before you were born, there was a calling in your life. 
And so this is how Paul begins. Verse 2, Paul's use of the word sanctified in the Greek was hagos. And one of the meanings of that word hagos I discovered a few days ago just means to stand in awe. This is a beautiful word because Corinth is really not, was not really a religious city. It was a city that was pretty loose. It was a port city. It was a city that, uh, as like most port cities, are cities that when a new trend comes in or a new style or new, new products or new commercial trends, it always hits the port cities first. And so Corinth was a church and was probably the largest of the churches that Paul had planted, about 200, 250 people probably maximum. And so Paul here is saying, you are sanctified. You're called into awe. Think of that. Here's a church we're going to discover as we go through these chapters. Paul writes about some specific things in the Corinthian church. Maybe you've heard a series on Corinth before, but I promise you, money back guarantee, (laughs) that you're going to hear stuff by the grace of God that hopefully we've never heard before. New stuff, fresh stuff. And so Corinth here, Paul is saying, you're saints. Paul is saying, he's the pastor of the church. He started the church and he said, I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of what God is doing in your lives. That's what I can say about every one of us here. You know, those that are here, those that, are, that weren't able to make it today. I'm in awe of what God is doing in your life. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's the way we avoid familiarity in a church. That's how we avoid the, 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 the foolish breakdown of disputes and pettiness and the goofy things that church get, churches get involved with. Corinth was amazing. And Paul was just in awe of what God was doing in their life. Paul, Paul says here, he says, there are three things about the Corinthian church that were in contrast to Corinth. Number one, they were called out of God. You're called out from God. You're called out. Number two, you're sanctified in Christ. And you're called to be saints together. It's really an awe-inspiring thing when we look at the work of God. And I just think that, you know, when Paul, Paul had this healthy sense as a pastor and as an apostle, as an overseer of many churches. He, was a lead, he trained up leaders. That's what we do here in Evergrace. We're part of a bigger ministry that does uh, leadership training. Uh, we do church planting. Uh, we just want to get the gospel out there. We want to see people get raised up, and we want to get people plugged in into, into their callings. We want to see young, young people um, getting engaged with their calling. It's great seeing Trayvon over here playing the drums. Um, Neil and I we, and, and some others, we, were, we had a, a meeting this week, and we we're just talking about getting some of our young people involved in the worship, you know, playing some instruments. We've got some very talented young people. We're not going to put anybody in the spot here, but it would be great to see that. This was a church. Corinth was really kind of messed up. It was a church that I think represents a lot with what's going on in society today. Um, they were not from a saintly background. They were not saintly people. And there's nine things in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. You don't need to turn there. But Paul says, he's saying to the Corinthian church, God has called you guys out of something, out of some very interesting situations. And he names them. And the King James, sometimes when, the, I love the King James, but sometimes when it gets into some graphic stuff, it kind of uses some big old words that we don't know what it means. But if you dig in the Greek a little bit, and the English Standard Version does a good job with this. There's nine, there's nine, nine characteristics or nine things that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians 6.11. He's saying, 
you Corinthians, God's called you out of this. And you know something? When we look at today's world and we see what's going on with the drug culture, the sexuality, the social justice, all of the craziness that's going, racial tension, believe me, it was worse in the Roman Empire. We are not there where the Roman Empire was. I mean, Pompeii, my wife and I went there in Italy. That's a crazy, that was a crazy place. I don't know if you know anything that was going on there, but that was, that city was so out of control that, I mean, it was, God had to deal with with a volcano. I mean, it was just, it was a crazy place. Listen to some of the things that Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church, okay? This is in the church, and God's calling people out of these things and into the church. It's amazing. Number one, sexually active people. This is the Corinthian church, okay? 1 Corinthians 6.11, okay? Sexually active. These, are, these, are, these were people that were just active, and they were out there. They, had, they, had, uh, they didn't have phone apps back then. They didn't have Tinder or any of that kind of stuff, but they were, they were pretty active. They actually had temples in Corinth that were dedicated to just all forms of sexual activity. The second thing that, was, that, that God had called them out of was worshiping materialism and demons. Worshiping materialism and demons. I just think that the Christian today, can, we can get so detached from the unsaved world that we don't have any opportunity to share the gospel with people. I was cycling the other day and just kind of, I don't know about you, but I just kind of had this flu thing kind of on the back burner and just trying to sweat it out a couple days ago. And I was cycling, and, and a guy caught up with me because I had just petered out. You know, I was just like, okay, I burned it all, and I was just kind of riding slowly back. And he caught up with me, and we started talking. And, and, uh, and he's a Christian, and he, just moved, he lives right over here, and he says, we're looking for a church. Um, he's been to several different churches, but he can't find that body life that he's looking for. And he says, I sometimes ride with other groups. And he says, I try to ride with Christian groups. And I said, well, I try to ride with non-Christian groups. And I said, because I don't want to like, get so detached from the unsaved world. I don't want to become part of it, but I want to be, because cyclists, I don't know if they're any different than motorcyclists, but cyclists, they're pretty, pretty, uh, brash. what? Brash. Yeah, yeah, brash. And they speak French pretty well. <laughs> and it's like, you know, so when I'm with this group, um, you know, I ride with a group of Exxon, you know, guys that work at Exxon over at Bender's Landing. We go riding, and it's just all about, you know, interesting conversations. And when we talk with them, um, I'm not intimidated by stuff that they say. Maybe I'm grieved, my spirit's grieved, but I'm very open about who I am, what I do, and what I believe. In Corinth, there was worshiping of materialism. We see that today. Number three, um, there was a lot of guys and girls that were going out on their husbands and wives. A lot of adultery that was going on. Number four, homosexuality. That word is hidden in the text. You can't really see that in the King James. But if you drill down, you see a lot of perversion that was going on. Uh, and that was really big in the, in the um, Roman Empire. Uh, one of a historical fact, and I like history, is that when the Roman Empire began to, initiate, began to allow homosexuality into their army and into their ranks, that's when we see a military breakdown. That's when we see their military broke down and began to fail. We see, number five, rip-off artists, carn artists. These guys were rip-off artists. Number six, egotistically narcissistic and self-centered, selfish people. 
uh, we see alcoholism, number seven. Number eight, there's a Greek word there, and the only way to translate it is nasty haters. Just haters. People that, ever meet a hater? Just a nasty person, you know? Uh, number nine, swindlers and con artists. So this is a great group of people that were in the Corinthian church, had gotten saved. Sosthenes really had his handful as a pastor, but he was doing a great job, and Paul started getting emails from, uh, from Sosthenes and people in the church, like stuff that was going on. And so Paul had written a few letters to the Corinthians and trying to deal with it. Now, verse 3, Paul is writing from, a, and I like this. We look at verse 3, Paul's writing from a finished work perspective. That's a term that we use here a lot, finished work, meaning that Jesus has finished the work. That means before, like, you know, like, I just admire people that get up on the stage and, and lead and speak because, you know, the devil is right in your face. I don't know if you've experienced that. <laughs> You're up here speaking or leading worship, and the devil's right in your face, you know, like, He's not building you up. He's not encouraging. He's like, he goes, I know what you were doing. <laughs> but you know something? Finished work. Paul is writing to a very dysfunctional church uh, from a finished work perspective. And, and I like that because when God needs to deal with us, we know what he does? He spends, the, he spends 80% of the conversation building us up in who we are in Christ. That's how we should deal with problems in relationships problems where we're dealing with people at work or we're dealing with family situations. You know, I'm I'm sure that dads and moms here, Father's Day is coming up, but dads and moms here, you know, when we face situations in our families, um, I I don't have kids, we don't have kids yet, but I can just imagine, you know, your kid getting in trouble big time and you're really brokenhearted about it, right? You're not like, I can't wait to beat that kid up. It's, it's, It's not really the... I mean, teenagers think that. Teenagers think, oh, mom and dad are just waiting to kill me, you know. But no, it's like they're, and I think that we don't see that until we grow up. But I think parents can be so brokenhearted. I, I just think that there's a lot of brokenheartedness in parenting that, that people don't realize. And I just think that parenting is just such a, it's a, one of the least spoken about things. And it, it probably should be such a huge topic in the church. And we're going to really be hitting that down the road we're going to get some special speakers in here to talk about parenting but you know when when we fail God when we fail uh, God is broken hearted and you know what he's saying he's saying I don't know why you're doing that because that's not who you are that's the thing that God is like you know when a child fails the first thing that the child's thinking is does mom and dad still love me children are not thinking and I've said this before they're not thinking in absolutes yet they're not thinking I did wrong. Maybe they are. I mean, you know, some kids are more advanced intellectually than others. But Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, a church that he had planted, that he had started. And he said, you know what? This is not who you guys are. This is not who you are. I want to, I just want to help. I want to get that through your mind that this is not who you are. You are in Christ. You're sanctified. You're set apart for a purpose that's bigger than you. And so this is where Paul begins from. He begins from a, a platform. I remember my parents, when they got saved, and they started disciplining me from a, from a Christian perspective. It was so weird. It was, and I was like, Dad, I'd just rather, like, the, you know, the smack, you know. Don't, don't get into all this religious stuff, and, you know, you're making me feel weird, you know. Like, and, you know, my dad would sit me down, and he would say, I love you. I just wanted to let you know, and I want to talk to you about this. And then but when I understood that our relationship was good, that's when the discipline came, you know? 
And Paul is saying here that you are in Christ. That you're in Christ. There's nothing that we could do to unsave ourselves. And we, we preach eternal security here. And sometimes people say, well, if you do that, people are going to just live like hell and they're going to do what they want to do. No. If we understand salvation, if we understand that grace and the cost of the blood of Christ, and if we understand the power of God's love, it hurts us to sin. I mean, it just hurts. It hurts us. It hurts so much to sin because we're in Christ. And Paul's saying here, you are in Christ. Paul's writing from a finished work perspective. I love that. Whenever God needs to deal with us, he's dealing with us from who we are in Christ and not who we are in the flesh. Because we're called. We're in Christ. Paul's dealing with the church. I like this too because Paul is not insecure. I can imagine, think of Paul. Paul was just, just an interesting apostle. He, he wasn't part of the twelve. So he didn't have that sense of inclusiveness. He wasn't part of the elite, the gang. And, you know, maybe other churches that he would go and speak at, they'd be like, you know, aren't you part of Peter's group? You know, the whole group over there in Jerusalem. Yeah, he said, I went down there for a fortnight. I went down there for a few days. And, you know, two, two apostles met me secretly, patted me on the back and sent me home because they were afraid of who I was and my background. And... Barnabas came up and discipled me. He said, but Paul here is writing from a perspective that, you know, he could have gotten insecure. He could have gotten upset. You know, when parents, when, you know, when, when our child fails, we have to remember that we don't, because um, teenagers, and I know what happens to us when we become adults, we lose a lot of this stuff, but teenagers, uh, they can be, uh, they have, you know, we have adults have five senses, maybe six senses. I think teenagers have 432 senses. <laughs> they, 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 they absorb everything. They, they are so intuitive. And if they sense that, that I'm embarrassed because they failed, that really hurts their self-image. And so we never want to be, you know, embarrassed of our kids. You know, and I, I just love, you know, my dad, you know, growing up, every time I, my dad would take me with, to him with, to work sometimes. And, and I don't remember what he did. I just remember there was like, I'd eat those sugar cubes in the break room. I just, that's why I used to like go in there. And he would say, hey, this is my oldest son, Chris. I was always, always loved that. I was like, oh, man, I just got introduced, and this is my oldest son. You know, I think that we can really build and pour into the image of our kids, not from the perspective of, like, disappointment. Paul's not, Paul's not speaking from a, a perspective of disappointment. He's not saying, you guys really disappointed me. I, I don't know if that's the best way to talk to people. You know, I mean, sometimes we want to. Sometimes people really disappoint us. Sometimes we feel that the pain of disappointment. Paul's not saying here to the church, "You guys, you should." He said, "He said I taught you better than that." I mean, we can say that, but Paul's not saying that. And nor is he saying. He's not speaking to them from a perspective of deficiency. He's not saying, "I really need you to be a successful church," because I need to feel good about you know. When I talk about the Corinthian church. I need you to feel. I need to feel good about you guys. You know, um, when I had become a when I first got ordained, I was 27 years old. I was already pastoring a church in Ukraine that we had planted. I'd never gotten ordained. We just had one people to Christ. We're discipling people. I get a phone call from my home church saying, "Hey, have you? Are you ordained yet?" We we're talking, and I and I go, "No, I haven't been ordained." And they said, "Well, you know, when you come back this summer, why don't we go through the ordination process?" And I, I said, "I don't know if I'm going to pass that exam." You know. Because exams like this, 
And it was just like, you know, six hours of oral discussion. And I was like, I, he said, don't worry, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna pass because, you know, you planted a church, <laughs> you pastored a church, so you're going to pass. Something's going to pass there. And I, I said to one pastor, I said, do you have any advice for me? And he said, yeah. He said, make sure your life is Christ because this is your pastor. Um, this is um, uh, Nicholas' pastor said this to me back in the day. Uh, he said, yeah, make sure your life is Christ because if it's not, then you're going to be so spiritually manic because your church is going to be doing great one, one time and then it's not going to be doing great for a while and then it's going to be doing great. And if our, if our identity is based on what we're doing, we're going to be so manically, do you know what manic means? Emotionally up and down, up and down. We're going to become spiritually bipolar. So biblical sanctification in the Old Testament and New Testament, I want to take a talk just for a couple words here about this. Biblical sanctification in the Bible is clearly described, and I can't believe how we get this, can get this wrong, but it's biblically described by connection and relationship. I don't know how we miss this. We get the idea of sanctification, and this is from Gnostic tendencies. If you study Gnosticism, it's incredible how it's getting into the American churches today, but it's not, sanctification is not achievement, and it's not attainment. It's not something that I'm achieving in my life. I'm working on myself. How you doing? I'm working on myself. I'm working. And this is really great for the American temperament, because in America, United States, we really like achievement, and we like success. We like to say, hey, this is what I was, this is my report card. This is, you know, like, like I'm doing so good. But sanctification in the Old and New Testament take place by connection and relationship, because we are in Christ. Okay, the book of Ephesians. One of these days we're going to hit the book of Ephesians. I love that book. 86 times, I think it is, it says in Christ. Mm-hmm. We're in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. How are you doing today? I'm in a huge problem right now. No, wrong. Well, maybe you are. We're all in a huge issue. I mean, every one of us in this room have huge things that are going on in our life. But where are we first? I am in Christ today. I am in Christ. You are in Christ. Okay. We are in a relationship. We are in unity. And that unity cannot be broken. What can separate us from the love of Christ in Romans chapter 8? Anything? Nothing. And then Paul's, Paul reads, he lists out a great list. He goes, neither principalities nor powers nor things to come. You know, don't worry about, yeah, don't worry about the future. It can't separate us from the love of Christ. When we get to heaven, we're going to be so amazed at how much God loves us. We're going to be like, whoa. It's like, I can't believe that God loved me so much. I wish I, wish I took more time to study that. Which I, I wish I had more time to think. You know, wish I wish I took more time to think about how much God loves me. We are in Christ, so we are in a relationship. We are connected with God that can never change. And this is what we call positional truth or positional sanctification. We are in a position, you know, like when you're playing soccer or when you're playing football, you, got, you play your position. Okay? You're in a position, and that's what you're doing. That's who you are. And we are positionally sanctified in Christ, and that never changes. We are, what does that describe? That describes a relationship. We're in a relationship with God today. It's like on Facebook, you know. Somebody updates their status in a relationship. You know, we, are, we, we are in a relationship with God that cannot be changed. And so... There are many instances in the Bible that describe sanctification, like when a place was sanctified or a time was sanctified, when a person was sanctified. 
we find that every time that something was sanctified or, let's say a different word, set apart for God's eternal purpose, you know, designated. You are designated to play the bass guitar. You are designated to work with ladies. You are designated for this. You're designated for that. We are designated by God. And when, when, when things were designated in the Old Testament, they were done. And in every case, we see they were done because of a connection with God and a connection with the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's four examples. And I, I put this on Facebook yesterday. I just, I, I, I love this book. I got a book years ago, um, Girdlestone's Synonyms of the, of the Old and New Testament. What it does is it takes New Testament words and finds their synonym in the Hebrew. And it's beautiful to see the unity of the Bible. And what it says here, he goes into the Sabbath day. Why was the Sabbath day? Because it was holy because God rested himself on that time. That's why it's holy, because God is resting. He's there resting, you know. He's resting. Exodus 31, 13. How about the mountain of the Lord or Mount Sinai? Why was that a holy mountain? Because that's where God was dwelling in Zechariah 8, verse 8. Zechariah 8, verse 3. How about the sanctuary? Remember the sanctuary in the wilderness? That That was holy because God would be dwelling among the people there. And how about the ark? The tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and the ver- ver- the various vessels that were there being used in Exodus 30, they were wholly set apart because they were set apart for God's purpose, because God would be ministering there. God would be using these vessels. As a matter of fact, it's really beautiful. In Exodus 30, verse 29, you can look at it. These censers, you know, like when the priests would walk into the tabernacle, they had these censers. Objects that were, that objects that came into contact, and this is very important. I want you to get this. This is a very important point, is that an object that would come into the presence of God, that would come into contact with the blood of Christ, became holy. That means that if, that means if, if something came into the tabernacle that wasn't holy or designated initially, but was brought in by a priest and was anointed by the anointing oil, or came into contact with the blood of Christ for the blood of the sacrifice. It was at that point made holy. That means it was set apart. That means that sanctification happens. Practical sanctification in our life happens when we come into contact with God's, with, with God's things. Let's bring this into a practical um, point here. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, we see that Jesus is our sanctification. Maybe Michael hit this verse a few weeks ago, but Jesus is our sanctification. Big point here. Whenever we talk about principles from the Bible, we always have to remember that Jesus is the personification of these principles. For example, when we talk about grace, grace is not just a a theory, it's not just some kind of emanating beautiful thing, but it is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. Because when we take theology and terminology and we separate it from the person of Christ, what results? Extremism and deception. Never separate theology from the character of God. And when if we, whenever we struggle with our theology or whenever we have a question theologically, and that's going to happen because we are finite people with finite minds trying to understand an infinite God, we just have to default to the nature of God. And that's going to help us to understand those hard questions. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our sanctification. Here's an example. 
What, what did the Pharisees and the scribes and those guys say when, when they saw the disciples? They said they had noted that they were with Jesus, right? These disciples lived in a powerful sanctification in their life because why? Because they were great people? No, they were uneducated. They were pretty brash. Peter was like he was known for open mouth, insert foot, leg, and entire body. I mean, he was just an interesting guy. And I, I, I like that guy because didn't, Jesus didn't choose John or Judas to be the head apostle because he just loved Peter because of his boldness. And I think that the kingdom of God would, would, would prefer our boldness over our political correct Christianity. So Jesus is, and I want to give you an example of, of this beautiful, of this beautiful um, normally we wouldn't break away from the text and look at a different one, but I'm going to do that this morning because I want to illustrate this in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. Jesus here heals a man. And let, let's try to apply this to current situation in the world that we live in today, the world that we are working in, the world that, you know, that we're going to school in. Now a leper came to him, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A leper came to him, imploring him. You know what implore means? It's a big, it just means like, you got to do this in my life, you know? you got to do this. It's like a prayer that has no plan B. You know, it's like, Jesus, if you don't do this, it's over. I think God likes those kinds of prayers. A leper, you know who a leper was? These lepers, it was a skin disease. It was a type of mold. And it exists in some countries still today, like in India. It's a, it's a leper, it's a, it's a skin-eating disease. That uh, It's a disease where your skin is slowly being eaten alive by this, I don't know if it's a bacteria or a virus, my wife would know. And as it's eating the flesh, the flesh is dying, and it's like, you know, body parts are just falling off that person until they actually die. This was a horrible way to die. This was a, it was a horrible disease, and it was very contagious. And when a leper came into uh, Jewish society, you know what they had to do? It's like going to HEB and having leprosy. You had to, as soon as you walked in the door, you'd have to announce the entire store, leper is coming, a leper is coming. I'm unclean, unclean. Imagine that. It's what today would be considered uh, a different kind of disease, maybe HIV positive or some other kind of disease that's out there. Ebola. Ebola. It could be anything. And so here's a leper comes to him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you're willing, if you're willing, if you're willing. And someday we'll just take apart this word willing. Willing is like a word that just doesn't mean only desiring, but it's, I mean, not only... If you, if you decide to do it, but it's if you desire to do it. If you're willing, you can make me clean. I love that. You can make me clean. Now here's a leper coming into the presence of Jesus. We're seeing sanctification in action. Okay, This is sanctification in action for our lives today. A leper comes into the presence of Christ and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moves with a compassion. And I love that right there. I mean, we could preach a whole message on that right there. Moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. That's amazing. Jesus looks at people's situations today, you know. We look at people's situations today. And are we moved with compassion? Or are we, are we, arrog- are we agitated? Or are we annoyed? Are we, are we upset? I was, in, I was in Argentina. And I know I'm digressing here, but I was in Argentina. And we were sitting. Uh, they like to eat food, the Latino culture down there, they like to eat late at night. 
you know, they, they meet at 3 or 5 in the afternoon, and they just sit there and eat until 1 o'clock in the morning. I was like, this is great. This is like my kind of culture, you know? <laughs> Sitting there eating and eating and eating. And we're eating. You know, we had just finished a few sessions, and they're like, hey, let's go out and eat. So we're out there, and we're sitting at this, you know, all the restaurants are outside, and it's beautiful. I mean, the food, I mean, it's a large group of people. It must have had 20 or 30 people at the table. It was a nightmare for the, for the, for the uh, waiters. That was just a nightmare. So we're eating this incredible food, and this, this, this girl comes up with this really sad face, a really sad face. And you could tell that um, she, had, she was from the countryside or something, and she just sat there, and she just stood there and looked at us with a really, really sad face, 12, 13 years old. Had a little bag. I, I didn't really understand what was going on at first. And she, and then I, and I began to, and at first I was like, you know, we're having such a great time here. This is so cool, beautiful. Rosario, this is so amazing. And then this girl standing and looking at us, like making us all feel very uncomfortable. And I thought, and the Holy Spirit immediately just convicted me on the spot, like, you know, like, you know, are you careless right now? And, and before I could say anything or do anything, some of the folks at our table began to give her food. I remember the look on her face and the compassion of Christ for that situation. And compassion changes everything. Compassion changes our short-tempered, annoying, or, or annoyed, cultural-limited, politically correct Christianity. Compassion, without compassion, we're going nowhere. I mean, compassion, if we don't have compassion, our spirituality is going to end at this, as soon as we walk out that door on Sundays. Compassion. Jesus had compassion. You know, George and I and some others and his wife, we went downtown, and we told you about this, but we went to visit some homeless people. And it was just a very uncomfortable, you know, it was not a great, people were living under the bridge, they had a lot of problems. I just remember, you know, the compassion of Christ for these people. Jesus had compassion. And compassion always precedes miracles. Miracles don't come without compassion. You know, we got to bring compassion into what we do. Bring compassion into your workplace. Bring compassion into the home. Bring compassion when you've been really hurt. You know, have you been really hurt by somebody? Maybe a family member. You know, has someone really hurt us? Yes. Compassion. And Jesus moved to compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. Whoa, <laughs> Jesus touched a leper. You don't touch those people, Jesus. I know you're from Nazareth. They do things a little different up there, you know. But we don't touch these people. You can't touch them. You just can't go up and touch them. Jesus touched him and said to him, I imagine he put his hand on his shoulder or something, or I don't know, just touched him. And he said to him, I am willing. I am willing. Be clean. Be cleansed. He says, I'm willing. I'm moved with compassion. I'm willing. God looks at our situations. God looks at the situation in Corinth. God looks at our defunction. God looks at all of our issues. And he really has compassion on us. And I think if instead of living in condemnation about, our, about besetting sin, think about the compassion of God on us today. Think about the compassion of God on the Corinthian church. Think of the compassion of God. You know what, you know what compassion means? Compassion means, in the Greek, it just means to feel together with. He says, I, you know, he says, I really feel what's going on in your life compassion and he touches him and he's cleansed and as soon as he had spoken immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed you know what this means it's sanctification in action 
It's the touch that sanctifies the leper, and it's the word that heals him. I'll say that again. It's the touch of Jesus Christ that sanctifies the leper. It's the word that he speaks that heals him. Big, big point here. Okay? Sanctification happens when we understand our connection with God in the finished work. And, and when we understand that we are in the presence of Jesus, and when we're in the presence of God, when we're in his presence, when we are in him, when we are in Christ, that is when sanctification begins to happen in my life. And number two, healing begins when the word of God is spoken. God's going to heal us in these meetings. God's going to heal us. We get together here Wednesday nights. We have such a great time. We sit here, we interact, we talk. And I can, just, I can sense that God's healing us all over these times as we're meeting together. Sanctification in action. Let's finish up with, with verses 8 and 9 with the faithfulness of God. Now let's read this in verse 8. Who Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end. Jesus Christ, and I'm adding Jesus Christ in here because this is who it's pointing to in the context of verse 7. Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end. He will sustain us to the end. Isn't that great news? He will sustain us to the end. One time I heard it said that the will of God is like is like a door. God's going to get us through that door one way or another. And he's going to get us through if he has to beat us through the keyhole. <laughs> I don't know who said that, but I like that. God's going to get us through. And he's going to say he's going to push us through that keyhole, you know. He's going to get us. He's going to be faithful to the end. Sometimes when I look at my life, I say, you know, I am not the model person I should be. And, and we can start going down that road of just disqualification and regret and sadness and moodiness and depression that we all could go into because of our past. But that's not, that doesn't glorify God. We just, what we've got to understand is that God is going to sustain us. He's going to sustain us. All of us have stuff from our past that we continually deal with. But you know something? He's going to sustain us. He's going to lift us up, and he's going to get us through guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what guiltless means? It doesn't mean without sin in the sense like you've never sinned in your life. It just means that none of the stuff that we've done is ever going to be imputed to us when we stand before Jesus Christ because it's going to be the blood of Christ that's on us when we stand before him. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. He's going to present us faultless. He's going to present you faultless. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. We're going to end with that. God is faithful. God's faithful, isn't he? He's faithful. He's brought us here. He's begun a great work in your life. He's, been, he's done a great work in your faith. He's begun a great work in your in your family. He's doing something new. And there's no mistakes in our life. There's no mistakes. We look at mistakes made and we say, you know, somehow God in his infinite wisdom redeems all of that and he makes it something beautiful. He's beautiful for situations. So here's our, here's our personal application. Stay connected at the points of contact to experience your sanctification. That's what we need to do. This is what we need to do. We need to remember, okay, what are the points of contact with God? What are these points where I am connecting with God and I can experience my, my sanctification? Number one, it's when we gather in the body of Christ. It's when we're gathering in the body of Christ. When you come here, there's a sanctification that's going on in your life. You know, there's something that's cleansing that's happening. Uh, when we get together, you know, Memorial Day is coming up. We're going to invite some folks to our house, some folks. I, you know, I met this 
uh, I met this, um, I have to be careful because they may come here someday, but there's a person there that cuts my hair and they have a very interesting situation. They, they, don't, go, they don't go to church anymore. And the husband's an atheist. And she's not. And um, she apologized that she had tattoos when she's cutting my hair. I told her I was a Christian and she, she apologized. That, I'm sorry I have tattoos. I said, I said, that's okay. I mean, what is, what's wrong with that, you know? Like, what's the issue there? And, and we begin to discuss, like, the difference between culture and what the Word of God says. And we can't bring culture into Christianity. We have to stick with a Word of God Amen. basis and not culture, not a religious culture. And so when we're talking with her, um, I said, you know, why don't you come to our house for Memorial Day? We're going to have a cookout, you know. We have a real small area. We're gonna, she was like, really? You want to invite me and my husband? I said, yeah, come on over. Well, you know make a believer out of your husband or something, you know. I was just joking with her about it, but I think she was really blessed to hear that um, that Christian, you know, that we, you know, we're not going to compromise with, the, with their lifestyle, but because we have something greater in us, Amen. greater see that is in us that he is in, than he that is in the world. And number two, preaching of the word. You know, John chapter 17, the word of God preached sanctifies us, you know. Getting, coming in and just hearing the preaching of the word of God. I need to be here. I need to be here as much as possible, you know, preaching of the word of God. Number three, prayer. Just prayer sanctifies us. Just being in times of prayer when we get alone with God and we just talk to God and we just begin to pour out our heart before the Lord. And number four, when we confess our sin. You know, confession is so important, 1 John 1, 9. When we confess our sin to God and we don't, and we don't hide it, Psalm 51, we just confess it to God. We say, God, okay. I did this. This was wrong. This is what the Bible says about this. And you know what the Bible says? He is faithful and just to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Because we have an advocate in heaven who's making our case with his own blood. And the last thing I just want to say about application is just trust God that he's going to complete the good work that he began in you. Just trust God. You know, can I encourage you to trust God for what he's begun in your life? He's begun some great things. I'm just, I was this morning, I was just drinking my protein shake and thinking, you know, I really believe God's going to bless us here. You know, he's going to really bless what we're doing. He already is. He is. He already is. Thank you. Oh, 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 you have the little faith, Pastor. (laughs) I just been rebuked by my congregation. (laughs) No, it's good. It's like, you know, I love that when you ever have someone that you, you know, you're ministering to and then they correct you. That wasn't a correction, but that was, that was confirmation. But I really believe God's going to bless us here. He's going he's gonna to do some wonderful things in families. This is way beyond me. During the worship today, I was like, man, like how, how did this ever happen? I don't even know. You know. We can't figure it out. But when we meet together and we experience that sanctifying presence of God, that sanctification, that spirit of obedience that comes into our life because of a sanctifying lifestyle, we... And that's when, that's when my lifestyle, and I'm gonna, I know I'm speaking long, but that's when our lifestyles change. You know, you can tell a person how to behave, but that's not going to change their heart. Tell a person who they are, and they're going to know what to do. Tell a person who they are in Christ, and they're going to they're gonna live out the plan of God for their lives. And so our, our main goal here is really just to really just preach about what, who we are in Christ. And those things that are not of God in our life, God's going to attack those things because that's not who we are. It's just not who we are, you know. It's just not who we are. And there's no condemnation, but it's like God's like, that is just, 
You are sanctified in Christ. You are loved by God. And you know something? I think really God wants to bless our families. He wants to bless our businesses. He wants to bless our futures. And he wants to bless every aspect of our life. And I just want to be a believer of that. I want to be a believer of grace. <laughs> you know, that's a new concept. Let's believe in grace. Let's believe in the grace that God is for us unconditionally and that he wants to go above and beyond our guiltiness and our lack of ability to qualify because he loves us. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's close in prayer.